Welcome to Volume 4 of Sky Island. Chapter 9 The Tribulation of Trot. The apartments occupied by the six snubnose princesses were so magnificent that when Trot first entered, led by her haughty captors, she thought they must be the most beautiful rooms in all the world. There was a long, broad reception room with 47 windows in it and opening out of it were six lovely bedchambers, each furnished in the greatest luxury. Adjoining each sleeping room was a marble bath, and each princess had a separate boudoir and a dressing room. The furnishings were of the utmost splendor, blue gold and blue gems being profusely used in the decorations, while the divans and the chairs were of richly carved blue wood upholstered in blue satins and silks. The draperies were superbly embroidered, and the rugs upon the marble floors were woven with beautiful scenes in every conceivable shade of blue. When they first reached the reception room, Princess Azure cast herself upon a divan, while her five sisters sat or reclined in easy chairs, with their heads thrown back and their blue chins scornfully elevated. Trot, who was much annoyed at the treatment she had received, did not hesitate to seat herself also in a big easy chair. Slave! cried Princess Cerulea. Fetch me a mirror! Slave! cried Princess Turquoise. A lock of my hair is loosed. Bind it up! Slave! cried Princess Cobalt. Unfasten my shoes. They're too tight! Slave! cried Princess Sapphire. Bring hither my box of blue chocolates. Slave! cried Princess Azure. Stand by my side and fan me. Slave! cried Princess Indigo. Get out of that chair! How dare you sit in our presence! If you're saying all those things to me, replied Trot, you may as well save your breath. I'm no slave. And she cuddled down closer into the chair. You, you are, are a slave. slave! shouted all six together. I'm not. Our father, the revered and resplendent royal ruler of the blues, has made you our slave, asserted Indigo with a yawn. But he can't, objected the little girl. I'm some royal and rapturous and ridiculous myself, and I won't allow any cheap fooleroo to order me around. Are you of royal birth? asked Azure, seeming surprised. Royal? Why, I'm an American, Snubnoses. And if there's anything royaler than an American, I'd like to know what that is. The princesses seemed uncertain what reply to make to this speech. Eventually, Indigo said to Trot, We do not think it matters what you were in your own country. For having left there, you have forfeited your rank. By recklessly intruding into our domain, you have become a slave. And being a slave, you must obey us or suffer the consequences. What consequences? asked the girl. Dare to disobey us and you will quickly find out, snapped Indigo, swaying her head from side to side on its long swan-like neck, like the pendulum of a clock. Look, I don't want any trouble, Trot said gravely. We came to Sky Island by mistake and wanted to go right away again, but your father wouldn't let us. It isn't our fault we're still here, and I'm free to say you're a very disagreeable and horrid lot of people, 
with no manners to speak of, or you would treat us nicely. Such impertinence! cried Indigo savagely. It's the truth, replied Trot. Indigo made a rush and caught Trot by both shoulders. The princess was twice the little girl's size, and she shook her victim so violently that Trot's teeth chattered together. When Princess Cobalt came up and slapped one side of the slave's face, and Princess Turquoise ran forward and slapped the other side, Cerulea gave Trot a push one way, and Sapphire pushed her the other way, so the little girl was quite out of breath and very angry when finally her punishment ceased. She had not been much hurt, though, and she was wise enough to understand that these princesses were all cruel and vindictive, so she supposed her safest plan was to pretend to obey them. Now then, commanded Princess Indigo, go and feed my little blue dog that crows like a rooster. Yes, and go and feed my pretty blue cat that sings like a bird, said Princess Azure. And feed my soft blue lamb that chatters like a monkey, said Princess Cobalt. And feed my poetic blue parrot that barks like a dog, said Princess Sapphire. And feed my fuzzy blue rabbit that roars like a lion, said Princess Turquoise. And feed my lovely blue peacock that mews like a cat, said Princess Cerulea. Anything else? asked Trot, drawing a long breath. Not until you have properly fed our pets, replied Azure with a scowl. What do they eat, then? Meat, milk, clover, seeds, bread, carrots. All right, said Trot. Where do you keep this menagerie? Our pets are in our boudoirs, said Indigo harshly. What a little fool you are! Perhaps said Trot, pausing as she was about to leave the room. When I grow up, I'll be as big a fool as any of you. Then she ran away to escape another shaking, and in the first boudoir she found the little blue dog curled up on a blue cushion in a corner. Trot patted his head gently, and this surprised the dog, who was accustomed to cuffs and kicks. So he licked Trot's hand and wagged his funny little tail, then straightened up and crowed like a rooster. The girl was delighted with the queer doggie, and she found some meat in a cupboard and fed him out of her hand, patting the tiny creature and stroking his soft blue fur. The doggie had never in his life known anyone so kind and gentle, so when Trot went into the next boudoir, the animal followed close at her heels, wagging his tail every minute. The blue cat was asleep on a window seat, but it woke up when Trot tenderly took it in her lap and fed it milk from a blue gold dish. It was a pretty cat and instantly knew the little girl was a friend, vastly different from its own bad-tempered mistress. So it sang beautifully as a bird sings, and both the cat and the dog followed Trot into the third boudoir. Here was a tiny baby lamb with fleece as blue as a larkspur and as soft as silk. Oh, you darling! cried Trot, hugging the little lamb tightly in her arms. At once the little lamb began chattering, just as a monkey chatters, only in the most friendly and grateful way. And Trot fed it a handful of fresh blue clover and smoothed and petted it until the lamb was eager to follow her wherever she might go. When she came to the fourth boudoir, a handsome blue parrot sat on a blue perch and began barking as if it were nearly starved, and then it cried out, 
Rub-a-dub-dub, rub-a-dub-dub, give me some grub. Trot laughed and gave it some seeds, and while the parrot ate them, she gently stroked its soft feathers. The bird seemed much astonished at this unusual caress, and turned upon the girl first one little eye and then the other, as if trying to discover why she was being so kind. He had never experienced such kind treatment in all his life. So it was no wonder that when the little girl entered the fifth boudoir, she was followed by the parrot, the lamb, the cat, and the dog, who all stood beside her and watched her feed the peacock, which she found strutting around and mewing like a cat for his dinner. Said the parrot, I spy a peacock's eye on every feather. I wonder why. The peacock soon came to love Trot as much as the other bird, and all the beasts did, and it spread its tail and strutted after her into the next boudoir, the sixth one. As she entered this room, Trot gave a start of fear, for a terrible roar, like the roar of a lion, greeted her. But there was no lion. A fuzzy blue rabbit was making all the noise. For goodness sake, keep quiet, said Trot. Here's a nice blue carrot for you. The color seems all wrong, but it may taste just as good as if it was red. Evidently it did taste good, for the rabbit ate it greedily. When it was not roaring, the creature was so soft and fluffy that Trot played with it and fondled it a long time after it had finished eating. And the rabbit played with the cat and the dog and the lamb and did not seem a bit afraid of the parrot or the peacock. But all of a sudden, in pounced Princess Indigo with a yell of anger. So this is how you waste your time, is it? exclaimed the princess, and grabbing Trot's arm she jerked the girl to her feet and began pushing her from the room. All the pets began to follow her, and seeing this Indigo yelled at them to keep back. As they paid no attention to this command, the princess seized a basin of water and dashed the fluid over the beasts and birds after which she renewed her attempt to push Trot from the room. The pets rebelled at such treatment, and believing they ought to protect Trot, whom they knew to be their friend, they proceeded to defend her. The little blue dog dashed at Indigo and bit her right ankle, while the blue cat scratched her left leg with its claws, and the parrot flew up upon her shoulder and pecked her ear. The lamb ran up and butted Indigo so that she stumbled forward onto her face, when the peacock proceeded to pound her head with its wings. Indigo, screaming with fright, sprang to her feet again, but the rabbit ran between her legs and tripped her up, all the time roaring loudly like a lion, and the dog crowed triumphantly as a rooster crows, while the cat warbled noisily, and the lamb chattered, and the parrot barked, and the peacock screeched, meow. Altogether, Indigo was, as Trot said, scared stiff. She howled for help until her sisters ran in and rescued her, pulling her through the bedchamber into the reception room. When she was alone, Trot sat down on the floor and laughed until tears came to her eyes, and she hugged all the pets and kissed them every one and thanked them for protecting her. That's all right. We like a fight, declared the parrot in reply. The princesses were horrified to find Indigo so scratched and bitten. They were likewise amazed at the rebellion of their six pets, which they had never petted, indeed, but kept in their boudoirs so they could abuse them whenever they felt especially wicked or ill-natured. 
None of the snub-nosed ones dared enter the room where the girl was, but they called through a crack in the door for Trot to come out instantly. Trot, pretending not to hear, paid no attention to these commands. Finding themselves helpless and balked of their revenge, the six snub-nosed princesses finally recovered from their excitement and settled down to a pleasant sisterly quarrel as was their customary amusement. Indigo wanted to have Trot patched, Cerulea wanted to have her beaten with knotted cords, and Cobalt wanted her locked up in a dark room, and Sapphire wanted her fed on sand, Turquoise wanted her bound to a windmill, and so between these various desires they quarreled and argued until dinner time arrived. Trot was occupying Indigo's room so that the princess was obliged to dress with azure, not daring to enter her own chamber, and the two sisters quarreled so enthusiastically that they almost came to blows before they were ready for dinner. Before the six snub-nosed princesses went to the royal banquet hall, Cobalt stuck her head through a crack in the door and said to Trot, If you want any dinner, you'll find it in the servants' hall. I advise you to eat, for after our dinner we will decide upon a fitting punishment for you, and then I'm sure you won't have much of an appetite. Thank you, replied the girl. I'm not hungry just now. She waited until the snub-nosed sextet had pranced haughtily away, and then came out, followed by all the pets, and found her way to the servants' quarters. Chapter 10 the king's treasure chamber. All the blueskins assembled in the servants' hall were amazed to see the pets of the princesses trailing after the strange little girl, but Trot took her place next to Button Bright at the table, and the parrot perched upon her shoulder, while the peacock stood upon one side of the chair and the lamb upon the other, and the cat and dog lay at her feet, and the blue rabbit climbed into her lap and cuddled down there. Some of the blueskins insisted that the animals and birds must be put out of the room, but Gip Gazizzle said they should remain, as they were the favored pets of the lovely snub-nosed princesses. Captain Bill was delighted to see his dear little friend again, and so was Button Bright, and now that they were reunited, for a time at least, they paid little heed to the sour looks and taunting remarks of the ugly blueskins, and ate heartily of the dinner, which was really very good. The meal was no sooner over than Gip Gazizzle was summoned to the chamber of His Majesty the Boolooroo, but before he went away he took Trot and Cap'n Bill and Button Bright into a small room and advised them to stay there until he returned, so that the servants and soldiers would not molest them. My people seem to dislike strangers, said the Major Domo thoughtfully, and that surprises me because you're the first strangers we've ever seen. I think they imagine you'll become favorites of the Boolooroo and of the princesses, and that's why they're jealous and hate you. They needn't worry about that, replied Trot. The Snubnoses hate me worse than the people do. Yeah, I can't imagine a Boot Blue becoming a royal favorite, grumbled Button Bright. Or a necktie mixer, added Captain Bill. You don't mix neckties, you mix nectar, said Gip Gazizzle, correcting the sailor. I'll not be gone long, for I'm no favorite of the Boolaroo either, so please stay quietly in this room until I return. The Major Domo found the Boolaroo in a bad temper. He had finished his dinner, where his six daughters had bitterly denounced Trot all through the meal and implored their father to invent some new and terrible punishment for her. 
Also, his wife, the queen, had made him angry by begging for gold to buy ribbons with. Then, when he had retired to his own private room, he decided to send for the umbrella he had stolen from Button Bright and test its magic powers. But the umbrella in his hands proved just as common as any other umbrella might. He opened it, closed it, turned it this way and that, commanding it to do all sorts of things. But of course the magic umbrella would obey no one but a member of the family that rightfully owned it. At last the Boularoo threw it down and stamped upon it, and then kicked it into a corner where it rolled underneath a cabinet. Then he sent for Gip Gazizzle. Do you know how to work the magic umbrella? He asked the Major Domo. No, Your Majesty, I do not, was the reply. Well, find out. Make the white skins tell you so that I can use it for my own amusement. I'll tell my best, Your Majesty, said Gip Gazizzle. You'll do more than that, or I'll have you patched, roared the angry Boolaroo. And don't waste any time, either, for as soon as we find out the secret of the umbrella, I'm going to have the three strangers march through the Arch of Finnis, and that will be the end of them. You can't do that, Your Majesty, said the Major Domo. Why can't I? They haven't lived their six hundred years yet, and only those who have lived that length of time are allowed to march through the Arch of Finnis into the Great Blue Grotto. The King looked at him with a sneer. Has anyone ever come out of that arch alive? he asked. Well, now, said Gip Gazizzle, but no one has ever gone into the Blue Grotto until his allotted time was up. Well, I'm going to try the experiment, declared the Boolaroo. I shall march these three strangers through the arch, and if by any chance they come out alive, I'll do a new sort of patching. I'll chop their heads off and mix them up putting the wrong head on each of them. Ha! Huh. Won't it be funny to see the old moon face's head on the little girl? Ha! Huh. I really hope they'll come out of the blue grotto alive. I also hope so, replied Gip Gazizzle. Then I'll bet you four buttonholes they don't. I've a suspicion that once they enter the blue grotto, that's the last of them. Gip Gazizzle went away, quite sad and unhappy. He did not approve the way the strangers were being treated, and thought it cruel and wicked to try to destroy them. During his absence the prisoners had been talking together very earnestly. "'We must get away from here somehow or other,' said Captain Bill. "'But of course we can't stir a step without the magic umbrella.' "'No, I must surely manage to get my umbrella back first, said Button Bright. "'We'll do it quick, then,' urged Trot for I can't stand those snub-noses any longer. I'll do it tonight, said the boy. The sooner the better, my lad, remarked the sailor. But seeing as the blue Boularoo has locked it up in his treasure chamber, it mayn't be easy to get a hold of. No, it won't be easy, Button Bright admitted. But it has to be done, Captain Bill, and there's no use waiting any longer. No, None of us likes it here, and in a few days they may make an end of us. "'Oh, Button Bright, there's a blue wolf in the treasure chamber!' exclaimed Trot. "'Yes, I know.' "'And a patched man on guard outside,' Captain Bill reminded him. "'I know,' repeated Button Bright. "'And the key's in the king's own pocket,' added Trot despairingly. The boy nodded. He didn't say how he would overcome any of these difficulties, 
so the little girl feared that they would never see the magic umbrella again. But their present position was a very serious one, and even Captain Bill dared not advise Button Bright to give up the desperate attempt. When Gip Kazizzle returned, he said, You must be very careful not to anger the Boolaroo, or he may do you mischief. I think the little girl had better keep away from the princesses for tonight, unless they demand her presence. The boy must go for the king's shoes and blow him and polish him and take him back to the royal bedchamber. Captain Bill won't have anything to do, for I've ordered Tiggle to mix the nectar. Thank ye, friend Sizzle, said Captain Bill. Now follow me and I'll take you to your rooms. He led them to the rear of the palace, where he gave them three small rooms on the ground floor, each having a bed in it. Captain Bill's room had a small door leading out into the street of the city, but Gip Gazizzle advised him to keep this door locked, as the city people would be sure to hurt the strangers if they had a chance to attack them. You're safer in the palace than anywhere else, for there's no way you can escape from the island, and here the servants and soldiers dare not injure you for fear of the Boularoo. He placed Trot and her six pets, which followed her wherever she went, into one room, and Captain Bill in another, and took Button Bright away with him to show the boy the way to the king's bedchamber. As they proceeded, they passed many rooms with closed doors, and before one of these, a patched blueskin was pacing up and down in a tired and sleepy way. It was Jim Fred Jinx Jones, the double of the Fred Jim Jones Jinx they had talked with in the servants' hall and he bowed low before the major-domo. This is the king's new boot-blow, a stranger who has arrived here lately, said Gip Gazizzle, introducing the boy to the patched man. I'm sorry for him, muttered Jim Fred. He's a queer-looking chop with his yellow pale skin, and I imagine our cruel Boolaroo is likely to patch him before long, as he did me, I mean us. No, he won't, said Button Bright positively. The Boolaroo's afraid of me. Oh, that's different, said Jim Fred. You're the first person I ever knew who could scare a Boolaroo. They passed on, and Gip Gazizzle whispered, That's the royal treasure chamber. Button Bright nodded. He had marked the place well so that he couldn't miss it when he wanted to find it again. When they came to the king's apartments, there was another guard before the door. This time, a long-necked soldier with a terrible scowl. This slave is the royal boat blow, said Gip Gazizzle to the guard. You'll allow him to pass into the Majesty's chamber to get the royal shoes and return them when they're blowed. All right, answered the guard. Our Boolaroo is in an ugly mood tonight. It'll go hard with this little short-necked creature if he doesn't polish the boots properly. Then Gip Gazizzle left Button Bright and went away and the boy passed through several rooms to the royal bedchamber where his majesty sat undressing. Hi there! What are you doing here? He roared as he saw Button Bright. I've come for the shoes, said the boy. The king threw them at his head, aiming carefully, but Button Bright dodged the missiles and one smashed a mirror while the other shattered a vase on a small table. His majesty looked around for something else to throw, but the boy seized the shoes and ran away returning to his own room. While he polished the shoes, he told his plans to Captain Bill and Trot, and asked them to be ready to fly with him as soon as he returned with the magic umbrella. All they need do was to step out into the street, through the door of Captain Bill's room, and open the umbrella. Fortunately, the seats and the lunch basket were still attached to the handle, or so they thought, and there would be nothing to prevent their quickly starting on their journey home.
They waited a long time, however, to give the Boularoo time to get to sleep. So it was after midnight when Button Bright finally took the shoes in his hand and started for the royal bedchamber. He passed the guard of the royal treasury, and Fred Jim nodded good-naturedly to the boy. But the sleepy guard before the king's apartments was cross and surly. "'What are you doing here at this hour?' he demanded. "'I'm returning His Majesty's shoes,' said Button Bright. "'Go back. Wait till morning,' commanded the guard. "'If you prevent me from obeying the Boularoo's orders,' returned the boy quietly, "'he'll probably have you patched.' This threat frightened the long-necked guard, who did not know what orders the Boularoo had given his royal boot blue. "'Go in, then,' he said. "'But if you make a noise and waken His Majesty, the chances are you'll get yourself patched.' "'I'll be quiet,' promised the boy. Indeed, Button Bright had no desire to waken the Boularoo, whom he found snoring lustily with the curtains of his high-posted bed drawn tightly around him. The boy had taken off his own shoes after he passed the guard, and now he tiptoed carefully into the room, set down the royal shoes very gently, and crept to the chair where His Majesty's clothes were piled. Scarcely daring to breathe for fear of awakening the terrible monarch, the boy searched in the royal pockets until he found a blue-gold key attached to a blue-gold chain. At once he decided this must be the key to the treasure chamber. But in order to make sure, he searched every other pocket without finding another key. Then Button Bright crept softly out of the room again, and in one of the outer rooms he sat down near a big cabinet and put on his shoes. Poor Button Bright did not know that lying disregarded beneath that very cabinet at his side was the precious umbrella that he was seeking, or that he was undertaking a desperate adventure all for nothing. He passed the long-necked guard again, finding the man half asleep, and then made his way to the treasure chamber. Facing Jim Fred, he said to the patched man in a serious tone, His Majesty commands you to go at once to the corridor leading to the apartment of the six snub-nosed princesses, and to guard the entrance until morning. You are to permit no one to enter or leave the apartments. But, good gracious, exclaimed the surprised Jim Fred, who will guard the treasure chamber? I am to take your place, said Button Bright. Oh, very well, replied Jim Fred. This is a queer freak for our Boolaroo to indulge in, but he's always doing something absurd. You're not much of a guard, it seems to me, but if anyone tries to rob the treasure chamber, you must ring this big gong which will alarm the whole palace and bring the soldiers to your assistance. You understand? Yes, said Button Bright. Then Fred Jim stalked away to the other side of the palace toward the princesses and Button Bright was left alone with the key to the treasure chamber in his hand. But he had not forgotten that the ferocious blue wolf was guarding the interior of the chamber, so he searched in some of the rooms until he found a sofa pillow, which he put under his arm and then returned to the corridor. He placed the key in the lock, and the bolt turned with a sharp click. Button Bright did not hesitate. He was afraid to be sure, and his heart was beating fast with excitement of the moment but he knew he must regain the magic umbrella if he would save his comrades and himself from destruction, for without it they would never return to the earth. So he summoned up his best courage, opened the door, stepped quickly inside, and closed the door 